3: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
2: Are you ready for this?
1: Sean Merriman, a one-hand back, Boom, boom, boom. Out go the lights.
2: This is Lights Out with Sean Merriman.
4: What's up, guys? We're back again on the Lights Out podcast with me, Sean Merriman. And today we're bringing on someone who I got a chance to watch at a distance. Cliff Averill up there at the Seattle Seahawks and that Legion of Boom. Uh, These guys, there were no uh, more of exciting defenses in football at that time. And it's funny, I always got a chance to talk to him through social media, but this is our first conversation we'll get a chance to have. Uh, We got some funny stories. One of the funny stories is he was a uh, a Maryland, University of Maryland recruit. He came in and and the coaches pointed him out one day. And uh, he saw me and decided to go to Purdue. Uh, But, you know, he's doing many great things now. And uh, we're definitely going to get into today's game and how things are different. Uh, one of the things that's different is uh, I might become an old man. I don't know if that's happened or not, but I might become an old man. Uh, I'm looking at some of these guys, uh, 0-3, 0-4 teams, and they're laughing, having a good time. And today's game, that's accepted for whatever reason. When I played, when Cliff played, and many others played, uh, the leaders in the locker room are grabbing these guys and bringing them, sitting them down, saying we're going to get our act together. So maybe I just might become an old man. Maybe not. We're going to bring Cliff in and uh, get this one going.
2: Cliff, what's up with you, my dude? What's going on, bro? How are you?
4: I- I'm good, man. You know, I was just telling uh, my guy Vito here that uh, the last time that, me and you got a chance to talk was on social media. So I w- we would always go back and forth. But, you know, it's cool, man, because I got a chance to watch you from a distance. And I always tell people, I said, yo, that, that dude, a dog, man, watch him, watch him. he said, go out, make a big play sack, and I'm looking like a genius.
2: <laughs> I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Before we jump into this, though, I got to tell this story. Uh, and I, I think I may have told you this before. Um, obviously, you see me. I got the Boilermaker gear on and all that good stuff. And, um, and one of the reasons I ended up at Purdue was because – so I was out of Purdue in Maryland at the time. And I took a visit to Maryland and I walked onto the field and they was like, yeah, you're going to play that position right there. I'm like, well, wait up. Y'all want me to look, that like, y'all want me to look like that guy? And I'm like, uh, they're like, yeah, no, that's the position you're going to play. They're like, they're like, you know who that is, right? I'm like, yeah, Sean Merriman. And it looked like you was just a man amongst boys. And I was like, well, if y'all want me to look like that, and I'm trying to play my true freshman year, this might not be the place for me, all right, because I'm trying to play when I come out. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you was the reason I would end up at Purdue because, yeah, you look too doggone big like, like a man amongst boys out there, and, and I I knew I couldn't look like that as a true freshman. <laughs>
4: that's, that's funny as hell. <laughs> and, you know, the funny thing is Coach Loxley and them going to stop using me for recruiting now because they're <laughs> they, like, you, you yeah, scared the ballers
2: think, away. Right. <laughs>
4: But you know, it's uh you know, so you, you came right after a couple guys I played with, with Sean Phillips, yeah. Nick Harwick, right after them. And I was telling that and I tell people all the time, I said, you know, I had the career or part of the career that I had was because of Sean Phillips. You know, Sean Phillips was like a, a silent assassin on that other side, and you know as well as anybody that if you don't have that other dude on the other side, what they gonna do? They're gonna they're gonna slide yep. your way, they're gonna Everything. chip you. You're going to get the uh, triple formation over there. You're going to get emotion and crack that, you know, this stuff is going to be crazy. So I tell people all the time, man, uh, Sean Phillips was a, uh, was a silent assassin over there.
2: know I agree. I mean, Sean doesn't get enough credit. I mean, even what he did at Purdue, he's one of the reasons I ended up there too is just, well, the fact that he was leaving and he had left and all that stuff. But um, yeah, Sean was a dog, man. And pass rushers in general, I, I, like obviously it's usually one player that gets all the attention. But if you got no other guys on, the, uh, on that D-line with you, um, most times than not, the guys that we love to see, the Von Millers and whatnot, they have other guys on their D-line that are really good that kind of helps them be successful. But, you know, obviously in the game that we play, it's the guy that gets the sacks. But as pass rushers, you need other pass rushers on that, team, on that line with you to, for you to be productive.
4: And you're right. And it's, it's always the quiet guys, man, to take a lot of the pressure off. Like I had Jamal Williams, yeah. uh, Luis Castillo, Igor Shansky. Who was who was some of those guys on your team that you played with at the time, man, like that just didn't get the credit that they deserve? I mean, Wagner and all them boys, they they got a ton of it. But who who was like that unsung hero, man, that just took the heat off of everybody?
2: Man, I would say, uh, you know, while I was here in Seattle, it was Brandon Mebane, you know, uh, just that 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 yep. nose guard that just plugs everything up. He demands a double team, not going to single him up, and it allowed everybody else to get those one-on-ones. So uh, I would go with Brandon Mebane, and then when I was in Detroit, Corey Williams, you know, uh, a big fella in the middle. He allowed myself, Sue, Kyle Vandenbosch, all of us to be able to get those one-on-ones and and we try to dominate those. But there's always that one guy in there that doesn't get enough credit because, you know, the stats don't look pretty. But if without those guys, the other guys couldn't eat.
4: You're right. And then me bang. He was he was also a leader. Like he was also somebody that was respected. And I was talking about this the other day and I'm looking at some of like the new school guys, right? Like I always hated when you had the guys that played in the late seventies, eighties and nineties where they always say, Oh, back when we played, you know, we ain't having any, any teeth, yeah. right? We didn't we use helmets and like <laughs> in, in a way kind of hating on the new school guys. You like, dude, just, you had your time now, sit your ass down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, you were great at what you did, but sit your ass down. But I'm looking at the game now, man. And, the other day I'm watching the Falcons and Green Bay play. And uh Aaron Rodgers threw a 30 or 35-yard pass down the field. And I'm I'm seeing one of the D-linemen get up and laugh and joke and 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 play around with Aaron Rodgers. And I'm like, and I have seen the same thing in the Denver game against the Jets, no wide receivers. They're both 0-3 teams. They both, I think, tied at 10. Mm-hmm. And you got the wide receivers dancing and laughing and joking. And I'm like, man, am I like that old dude now that's sit back hating? Because I, that wouldn't fly. Like, that wouldn't fly. You know, I, I'll, take a, I'll tell you a story. We started out 1-3 in 2007 when I was with the Chargers. And you remind you, we got LT and uh, Lorenzo Neal and Chris Dillman and Phillip Rivers and all these guys, all these older cats, Randall Godf- uh, no, I think Godfrey and those guys are gone. But you, know, we had a bunch of older guys on the team that just wasn't having it. It, I, I just I just don't want to feel old, man. But what what happened in the locker room with you guys? Like when when stuff wasn't going right, who was that guy? Like, give me a situation who would step up and is it, kind of take control of what's
2: going on? Well, first off, on, on what you just mentioned, you know, talking about not trying to be that guy, the old head that kind of views things differently or whatnot. But, like, I actually got to watch the locker room change. If you're fortunate enough to play long enough, obviously you've seen it. Right. You'll, you'll see the locker room dynamics change a little bit to the point where, you know, guys are in there, you know, their, their Instagram live. I'm like, the locker room is the place where, like, all, like nothing else is involved. Like, it's just us and we talking about whatever. You can't do that anymore uh, with the new wave of guys. But as far as for, you know, your question on, on you know, um, Things changing and, and whatnot. I mean, I, I just think, I just think, the it just changes every every decade or so. You know what I'm saying? Things just like the new kids nowadays. They're 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 into you know showing everything off, right? They want to they want to let you. Know. I, I I think I I remember seeing somebody you know they filming the the, the 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 team meetings on Instagram Live. You know what I'm saying? No. Like what are you doing? Like that's that's you know what I'm saying. So. It's just a new age, bro. It's just a new age. These kids are doing different things. Um, you just gotta. I, I just look at it as as you know what I'm used to ain't, ain't what it is anymore. You know what I mean? Uh, just that that camaraderie, that bond, that that um, that secretness of being in the locker room because it it was a privilege to be in there with all those guys. And now it's just right. a little different. You know, guys in there dancing, guys in do, doing all kinds of stuff, and it's just completely different from what we grew up uh, kind of learning.
1: Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
4: You, you guys, man, at one point had the most dominant defense in football. I mean, period. And y'all had a run. What was, what was that like, man? Like being on that team because there were so many big personalities. There were so many big guys, but it always seemed like everybody was on the same page. Like nobody was trying to outshine nobody. Nobody was, uh, it was no finger pointing. You guys were, like I said, so dominant in such a collective group, man. What was what was it like at that time?
2: Man, it was awesome. And you know what What made us so good and so, so great, I think, is not necessarily the stuff we did on the field. It's like we, you know, the guys in the locker room, you cool with a couple guys outside of the locker room, right? On game day, we all come together. We're going to ride together. But the difference was that all of us actually, until this day, still hang out with one another. Our kids, we have birthday parties. All the kids, you know, uh, all the kids come together. We go on vacations together. I mean, these are all things that we're still doing to the day. So I think it's just the genuine love we have for one another outside of football. We weren't just coworkers. We were actually family. And I think that's what made us so great and also not want to let that person next to you down. You know what I mean? Cause we had that personal relationship now is, Hey, now I got a ride for Mike Bennett. You know what I'm saying? I got a ride for Bobby because I know their kids, like their kid, like it's almost like I feel responsible for their kids as well. You know what I mean? And and it just, it just made us great and it made us go out there and play for one another. And that's why we were so great for so long.
4: And, and I always say that too. When the great teams, the players run the team. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm sure Coach Carroll is a great coach, but the players control the locker room. And no when it was time for us to tighten up, the coach didn't have to say anything. We we yeah. ran the locker room and it seemed like you guys had that same type of deal going on.
2: No doubt. No doubt. We ran the locker room. But you know what's crazy? Coach Carroll actually sets it up for that. You know, he doesn't like you know how coaches hype up before the team uh before the game, like before we go out, you know, coach comes in the middle and, you know, does his rah rah and all that. Coach Carroll doesn't speak to the team at all, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, before the game because he wants the team to be able to lead itself. He wants the, he wants the leaders to kind of lead the team. So, um, you know, what I mean, you have to have those guys in the locker room. And, and accountability is huge, right, um, being able to hold each other accountable but not be disrespectful in, in how we we, uh, we we expect that from you, right. So everybody respected one another, but we held each other accountable. And it, it speaks back to the, the um, you know, the guys leading the team and not needing a coach to necessarily, you know, get you hyped up or anything like that.
4: And it, you, your guys had a, had a great team, man, like just on both sides of the ball, but, but Russell Wilson, dude, I mean, I, I had hell playing against him and when i I'll never forget my, my last, maybe my last year over the year before my last in Buffalo, we played them in Toronto and, they, I mean, y- y'all dropped like 52 on us, right? They put up like 50 plus. I dude, I never had 50, uh, 50 piece put on me before in my life, right? And they were just running the hell out of that option play where he was going to pull it or give it to Marsh. And I, they were running it and running it. And I just was hoping that that game clock just said zeros across the board because they just was going to run that damn play over and over, man. Just what – obviously, everybody see the – He's a a magician on the field and all the things he can do and make plays, man. But what what is about him that just separates him and why he's had this longevity that he's had so far?
2: Man, that boy's like Houdini, man. He's making everybody miss, you know what I'm saying? Um, But I would say that the biggest thing with Russ, man, is one, he knows who he is. Um, He's extremely confident, and he really believes – everything that you hear him say on, on, on game day or, or whenever. Right. He really, all he, he believes if he has an opportunity, all he needs is one chance and he'll go out there and make some things happen. Um, I mean, I've seen the boy, I've seen the boy throw four interceptions in the game Fourth quarter rolls around and tells us, Hey, Hey guys, like, let's stay in it. Like, let's stay in it. And half of us are looking at it like, bro, we down 14 points. You know, gave up five, you know, threw five interceptions. Like, you're part of the music. We down, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. And, and, but like, he's like, hey, all I need is one chance. And guess what he goes and do? He goes and pulls that game out, wins the game. You know what I'm saying? Gave him two drives back to back. He went out there, slashed him up, got us to the second Super Bowl. So, um, you know what I mean? I just think he really believes all he needs is opportunity. He really believes uh, that, that he, he can be great. And that's what he's chasing. And that's why every year, since year one, he's gotten better. I mean, statistically, everything he's gotten better. And this is year nine for the man, and he's still finding ways to get better. And if he's not the MVP of the league, he's definitely in the talks this year.
4: It, which is insane to me because like you guys had a dynasty. And I I read I read something some time ago where you were talking about like that play in the Super Bowl, how it kind of in a sense broke up that dynasty. Mm-hmm for a little bit maybe change like change the course of the locker room like what what happened during that time like how did that inflate all everything y'all had going on
2: yeah so i, I think i think in the in the moment me personally i didn't really feel that right i didn't think of it because you know i mean I'm, I'm on to the next play i'm like hey, i'm on to the next season like let's let's get this thing rolling we got something special here but i do think some guys kind of started to 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 doubt i guess the message some somewhat um because of how things played out a lot of people might feel like it was politics as well on basically why we didn't run it or whatever the case may be so there's a lot of different yep. things out there that i think could have played and every individual obviously um took it in differently you know what i mean marshall might feel completely different from a russell wilson or, or myself like i said for me it was just man like, hey, let's strap him up let's go back out there and let's go win us another one but then when i look back at it i do think some guys uh, felt some kind of way because they felt that camaraderie kind of shift a little bit or the message or the philosophy shift a little bit in the way that game played out. And um, maybe guys held on to it a little bit longer than they should have because I, I think we could have gone out there and won another one uh, the next year if if we would have just kept that same mindset. I,
4: I always always talk to LT about that. And I was like, man, we had some squads, 06, 07, 08, that short run yeah, that's we that's had. That. And it's it's so hard, man. You are talking about Russell? It's so hard when you have that type of a dynasty, that type of a team, because you know, forget that, forget that one play you guys had. You got contracts coming up. Yeah, guys get hurt. Oh. You know, people trying to get paid. You aren't. you you're trying to get paid at that point because you earned it. So you know that team is breaking up at that point, man. Like when did when did you guys know that? That was starting to happen. For, and, and for us, I started seeing guys get traded. I started seeing guys get released. And, you know, uh, Michael Turner had left one year and mm. this person and that person. And you started to see got to break up. What, what, when did that happen with you? Were you like, OK, yeah, things are things are changing a little bit.
2: You know what we, we and as you know, right in the NFL, it's hard. It's hard to keep the same team around for two, three, four years because cause what you just mentioned contracts, guys needing more money or guys getting released or traded or whatever the case may be. but honestly uh, like we were I think I felt like we were pretty doggone good and able to win a Super Bowl my first four years in the uh, first four years with Seattle um, whether that's 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 was the year where everything kind of shifted. Uh, and it wasn't more of you know contract stuff but more of injuries. You know, I went out, Sean, uh, uh, Cam Chancellor went out, Sherm towards Achilles that year, uh, popped his Achilles that year. I mean, uh, so many guys were just banged up and it was like, man, are these guys getting old? Or, you know, should we start looking to, to kind of move out of uh, out of these contracts? Because everybody was making big money. You know what I'm saying? Everybody everybody I just mentioned was, was probably top five, top 10 at their position. So, um, you know, it becomes a, a business decision for the organization. Do we get rid of these guys and get somebody cheaper? You know, all these different things. So I would say 2017 was with the year where it completely changed. You know, you flip the page and it's a whole different team. It's a whole different vibe. I mean, you look at the team right now, it's only three guys, four guys, I believe, that are from the Super Bowl years. You know what I mean? And the fact that there's four of them is still impressive. You know what I mean? Because we know how the turnover
0: is in the league. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex platinum card helps you have the perfect trip.
4: Hey, hey, dude, You know what? Father Time is gonna catch all of us. Hey, I don't care how how good you take care of your body, I don't care how great a shape you're and that father time gonna creep around the door and they say, okay, it's time to have a seat. And it happened to everybody like me. I knew when I when I went to Buffalo and initially I didn't want to go to Buffalo. Like I was scratching and screen your know, buddy Nick's a GM called me and Bud, Buddy was like, Hey, we you know, we picking you up off of waivers. And I was like, Buddy, I love you. I actually love this the the fan base of Buffalo, but y'all 0-6 right now. I, I'm not coming out. I'm not coming. I don't care what you say. I'm not coming out there. And you had your stint with, with the Lions.
2: As a rookie, I went 0-16. You know what I'm saying? Like I was the only player ever to, to go 0-16 and win the Super Bowl. So right. to go 0-16 as a rookie in the NFL, it was to the point where like for me, I almost was embarrassed telling people I played in the league. You know what I'm saying, like, right? Like, hey, uh, yeah, you, uh, who you, who you played for, uh, uh, Cleveland? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I always oh, like, I had to go, I had to pick the next worst team, you know what right? You know? <laughs> so it, it was just one of those situations. Yeah. You go,
4: you go out after your first year, you got to tell
2: people like, I can't even turn up, bro. I can't <laughs> even turn up. I can't even inter- like, think about that, bro. You can't even go out and tell people you play in the league. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, that's like a, oh, you know, you that? at, uh, hey, Ston, what's up, bro? What's, hey, who you playing for now? Uh, Detroit. Detroit. Oh, oh, y'all didn't win one game. Like, what's going on, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, just that, that transition, though, what I would say, the difference was, at least from my vantage point, going from Detroit to Seattle, was culture. Right, like culture is a big difference and i think it, it plays a big role in in how successful a team can be man and you know the culture in detroit and kind of like football everywhere it's real militant you know uh straightforward you know you can't some some coaches got you having tucked your head and tuck your hoodie in and all kinds of mess right but you get to seattle man they got music playing you know we're shooting hoops before uh team meetings it's just a good vibe and um that's why i think they've had so much success uh, over this last decade, is because everybody's just having fun. It ain't, it don't feel so so um, militant and so you know straight by the book type of situation. It's hey, have a good time once you go on that football field. Turn up even more.
4: I, I say the same thing, and I say it all the time. Like when I see these coaches coming in NFL for the first time, and they come in super strict. They yeah. come in, uh, yeah, tuck your jerseys, do this, do that, and the first thing that comes to my, my head is, you guys gonna lose. You guys gonna suck because you can't come in there treating guys like their kids. These ki- these guys, these men have families. These guys, these men are yeah. rich already. They're successful. There's a reason why they're here. You come in and treat them like kids, you know, it's just not going to end well for you. And those guys are, are completely different.
2: No, I agree. I agree. You can't, you can't, it, I mean, it's, it's one of the few places, right? Think about this. It's one of the places where the guy in charge makes the least amount of money out of all the guys he's directing traffic on, right? So, like in understanding that it's more of a man, Cliff Avery, he got wife and kids. Like, why? And I got a wife and kids. Like, why would I talk crazy to him? Why would I try to try to son him? Why would I try to make play him as if he's a child? You know what I'm saying? Talk to him like a grown man because he understands he needs to go out there and ball out so he can keep getting them checks so he can take care of his family, right? So I, I just think some coaches they got that maybe that college mindset where you know when kids are 18 you can do that, but when you're talking to a 30 year old you got you got to chill out a little bit.
4: Yeah, now I always, I always thought about him back in my head. I wanted to play for Coach Carroll because I, I love this energy, right? Mm. And I'm like, man, this dude, he's gonna get me hyped up, and I'm gonna get him hyped up, and he's gonna get me hyped up. Like, is he, is he like that all the time? Mm. Is this, is he like that twenty four seven?
2: It's unreal, bro. I ain't gonna lie to you. Like, so you know how you become a free agent? The GM, the coach calls you. And, you know, kind of kind of uh, uh, like recruiting all over again in a sense, right? So he calls me, and I'm like, oh, okay, what's up? Hey, how, how would you feel to be a Seahawk? And, you know, when I'm trying to make this happen, and all like just super energetic, I'm like, oh, this feels like college all over again, you know what I'm saying, when you get recruited. I'm like, okay, cool, coach. I, I appreciate it, you know. But I'm, in my head, I'm like, there's no way, you know, this is just the, all the fluff. Man, it took me two years, bro, to buy in to him really having that much energy. I'm talking about every day just super hype, just a lot of energy. The only only coach I know that's uh, – he might be 70 years old now. Right. The man get out on the football field and launching it 60, 70 yards downfield, like playing catch and all. It's just – it's crazy, bro. And and I think he, he – it's a genuine thing, but I also think he understands that that stuff is contagious. You know what I'm saying? It's contagious for the coaches. It's contagious for the players. If your head man, the oldest guy in the building, has the most energy, how can you not match that? You know what I'm saying? And um, it's been it, – Ever since I met him, he's been like that, man. And I ain't going to lie to so you, it was a great time playing for him.
4: Do you guys still – you still keep in contact with him at all? Is it at any point you guys still talk? Because f- for me, I still talk – I just had Wade Phillips on the other day. And still to this day, I thank Wade Phillips. I said, you you know what? You He don't want to take any credit for it. I'm like, I went to the Pro Bowl a couple of times because of you. Because I know you put me in some one-on-one <laughs> situations with the back. Yeah. Uh, you know, you put me in some really good situations to win. So I just had a connection with my coaches. You still – rap to them at all
2: oh yeah i still talk to coach carroll i, I mean I'm, I'm i still talk to the gm john schneider i talk to uh the d-line coach i mean i've always been that kind of person where like i mean we we in this together you know what i'm saying like we we about to go out here and battle together both of our livelihoods are on the line if i don't play well i get cut and fired and guess what you might mess around get cut and fired too so it, it's, it's one of those spaces where i just built relationships with the guys and I check in with him. I still talk to Dan Quinn down there in Atlanta. I mean, I talk to a, a wide range of coaches that, that that has been a part of my life still to this day. I, I, again, like I said, I think it's just important because we we understood that we needed each other for us to have success in the league, but also for our family and friends.
4: Yeah. I, so one one of the guys, man, is just it. it I, I was talking about it the other day. How in the hell he not he's not playing for somebody? It's Earl Thomas, right? Um, man, dude, I, I'm so you know kind of upsets me because. It's like I don't care what you say about somebody. Dude, play hard as hell. He played the game right, and I don't care if he fought me. You know, I mean? you know how many teammates? I fought before. I mean, some of my closest friends. Do we fighting in practices and practicing oh, yeah. camp, and then we go to the crib after, and we playing Xbox and drinking? You know, what I'm saying like yeah. it just happened, man. So like to see anybody say something about that dude, it just it bothers the hell out of me. But what you guys still talk at all?
2: Yeah, matter of fact, I talk to E. um... Probably like four days ago, matter of fact. You know, I, ch- I check in with him. Um, it's, it's crazy. Kind of going back to what we talked about earlier in the show, how, how it's a different vibe now in comparison to to what it was when I played because it was nothing for us to get in an argument in a fight and then later on that day go to dinner. You know what I'm saying? And right. later on that day go go do something. You know what I'm saying? so uh, it's shocking to me that he's not in the league right now. It's crazy because in what space, at least I can't remember off the top of my head, that a player was all pro one year and then out of the league the next year and not due to injury. You know what I'm saying? Like, that don't make no sense. And then there's so many injuries happening throughout the league. And yet, tell me, this man, who I think is still going to wear a gold jacket at some point, can't have a job. And he's still still in tip-top shape. He still, you know, can play some ball. And he can change up the defense. You know what I'm saying? So, I I don't know what's going on. I don't know if – I don't want to go down that road as far as what they might be doing to him, but – it's just a weird space to be in to see someone that's so talented, still playing at a high level, still coming off an all-pro season and not be on somebody's team right now.
4: Yeah, you you won't say it, but I will. I mean, there's times you get blackballed, and I'm not saying that people are collectively keeping them out. But, don't, you know, for me personally, being a former player, you hate to see an incident or one thing shadow over somebody's greatness and what they did over the body of their career. You know, because you know to come across an Errol Thomas is not easy. You're not going to come across too many Errol Thomases. So to even see anybody say anything like that is just crazy.
2: No, nah, it's, it's it's weird, man. And then, um, you know, you talk about just being blackballed or, or whatever. Is it about winning or is it about saving face? You know what I'm saying? What Like, what is it about? Because if you're really about winning, you're going to try to get the best players in there to, to execute. Now, I don't know what the word is on him as a teammate, but I can speak uh, as a guy that played with him for four years. The man is awesome. You know what I mean? Now, just like anybody else in the locker room, everybody comes from different backgrounds. Everybody comes – you know, everybody's a little different. But once you actually get to know him – and I think that's part of the problem is, is with the Ravens is they didn't really get to know him. They didn't know him like we knew him. That So you can accept and embrace who he really is. Because guess what? On Sundays, the boys will give you all you got. The boy will mm-hmm. go out there and, and, and ball out, right? So for us, it was it, okay. He's just being E right now, but E is awesome. Like we know what we're gonna get out of him on Sundays, and it's just unfair. It's, it's it's unfair that he get enough time to to kind of prove to his teammates that he is a great, great teammate, that he is a great player, and um, it's just unfortunate that he's not on the roster right now.
4: No, nah, no doubt, no doubt. So speaking of great stuff, man, you um you got a bunch of great stuff going on, right? What about that the charity?
2: Yeah, so we just had our seventh annual dining to make a difference, and um, it's it's basically a celebrity and I hate saying celebrity celebrity waiting event uh, where all my homeboys, all the Seahawk players, basically are waiters for the evening, and people buy tickets, and it's to raise it's to raise money for for my foundation, the Cliff Aver family foundation, which is geared towards juvenile diabetes and um, you know just living a healthy lifestyle. And this year, we, we switched it up a little bit, though. We actually had players deliver meals to all the VIPs, to their actual home. Uh, obviously, going by the COVID protocol and different things like that. But it was a great turnout. We still were able to raise over $170,000 um, in, in, in the pandemic. And also, obviously, all, a lot of that money is going to go back into the city here in Seattle. But uh, it, it was a great, it was a great um, event. And if you want more information on what the foundation is doing, check out familyfoundation.org I mean, we're we're out here trying to you know make change.
4: That's dope, man. That's dope. Anything else you got? You are you coaching? You coaching or something too right now? What what you got going, man?
2: Co- Actually, I just coached an all star game, man. My first time coaching, uh, being on the sideline. I just coached a, a high school all star game out here, and uh, it was great, man. It was fun, um, you know. And and my boys went out there and got like eleven or twelve sacks. You know, so I can't, I, I can't, be, I can't be mad at it. But it was a, it was a great outing. It was good for the kids because a lot of these seniors right now, they they not getting the senior season, so they right. can't get that film to get that recruit right, uh, that recruitment going. So that all star game was to help them get more film to get some schools to kind of notice them and hopefully, you know, be able to get a scholarship somewhere.
4: That's dope, my dude. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, anytime, anytime you need me, dog, I'm there. Uh, please let me know if I can step I in. This- and as soon as this pandemic over, man, we'll catch up. And uh, I'll make sure we get all this stuff posted up on, on your foundation, everything else you got going on.
2: For sure, man. I appreciate you having me, man. Keep doing your thing, bro. Like I said, man, since I was 17, I kind of always looked up to you, bro. And, and I'm still paying attention to the different moves that you're making, man. So uh, keep inspiring. Keep being yourself, man. And, and um, next time, you know, we'll, we'll chop it up soon. do deal, bro. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Have a good one.
4: Hey, guys, thanks for listening today. Uh, I had a great time talking to uh, Cliff Averill, uh, that Legion of Boom team that they had up there. We got a chance to talk about Pete Carroll, man, and and some of the misconceptions about him and his energy levels, which is just ridiculous. I think he's, what, 70 years old now, but he has energy uh, as a a 30-year-old just running around and bouncing around. Also, um, the game has changed a little bit from the times that we played, I played, and uh, how the locker rooms have just shifted over the time. So I appreciate you guys listening in. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to the Sean Merriman Lights Out podcast. We're going to keep this thing rolling. See you again next week.